go ahead and turn in your, your Bibles uh, to Matthew 27. We'll be in uh, verses 39 through 44, focusing on 39 and 40. Um, but before we start, I want, I want to pray for us and uh, just really try to focus our hearts. God, we thank you for your word. We are humbled by your word. We thank you for Jesus. God, your, your ultimate sacrifice of your son, Jesus, and all the, the mocking and, and ridicule that he, he went through and all, the, all the, the beating he took on the cross to, to bear our sin and shame, we thank you for that love. God, I pray that our hearts will be filled with your spirit and, and filled with your love and your compassion and, and, and God, just give us desires for your word. Give us a desire to be more like you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I'm going to do a little intro to, to kind of set up what we're going to read in Matthew 27. We're going to start in, in, in 26, Matthew 26. We should all be extremely familiar with this passage of Scripture because this is the center of the gospel. This is, this is what we believe. What, what we know that, that Jesus went through to, to come and, and die for our sins. This is a big deal. We should all be familiar with it, but I'm not going to say that we all are. So we're going to go through and start with Matthew 26 and kind of talk just briefly about uh, the setup of, of Matthew 27. So to start in Matthew 26, Jesus announces that the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And Judas, we all know, he was greedy and he was asking the religious leaders how much it would take uh, for, for him to, to willingly give over Jesus and betray him. How much money will you give me? And so then the Passover meal happens with Jesus and his disciples and, and he foretells the disciples that one of them will betray him. So then Jesus predicts that, that Peter, along with all the disciples, will deny and, and desert him. And after the meal, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and prays. And while the, disciple, while the disciples sleep, three times Jesus play, prays earnestly to the Father that He may be spared. That He could find some other way if possible to, to allow this death on a cross to, to, to go somewhere else. But obediently, He submits to the Father's will and then He's betrayed. And so Judas arrives with a crowd and, and, and betrays Jesus with the, the signal, a kiss. And then uh, later on in Matthew 26, Jesus is put on trial before the high priest. And so they brought various charges against Jesus and he remains silent. And to the high priest's question whether he is the Messiah, Jesus responds with, you have said so. You, you, have, you have called me Messiah, that, that is who I am. And ironically, in the midst of, of his trial, Peter too is interrogated regarding his relationship to Jesus. And just as he predicted, just as Christ has predicted, Peter denies him three times. And the rooster crows and, and then Peter goes and repents. So now Jesus goes on trial before Pilate. Pilate asked a similar question whether he is king of the Jews. And his response, Jesus' response was similar. He said, you say so. 
But otherwise, against all other accusations, against everything else that they had accused him of, he remained silent. And so Pilate agrees to release a prisoner. He releases Barabbas instead of Jesus. And Pilate then hands Jesus over to be crucified. So the, the soldiers dressed him up in a robe and placed a crown of thorns on his head and, and it gave him a reed and mocked him saying, this here is your king of the Jews. And they led him away to be crucified. So on the way to, to his crucifixion, his death, a, a passerby, Simon, is compelled to, to carry the cross the rest of the way to Golgotha where Jesus is placed on a cross with two bandits on either side. And this is where we pick up in, in chapter 27, verses 39 through 44. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So in verse 39, and those who passed by in the, in the road or on the road to and from Jerusalem, it seems their crosses were placed on the wayside. So anybody who is going to come and, and pass by the crosses are going to have to be intentional and, and, and for a purpose and on a mission to go see that. That's what they wanted to see. So they, they, the people that passed by had to be intentional about wanting to see that. It says that they derided him or, or reviled him or, or blasphemed him. They spoke all manner of evil on Christ that they could think of, to which he answered not a word. That's prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So they blasphemed him, they reviled him, and, and, and wagging their heads in ridicule of him, they, as, as exulting in his misery. It was also said in Psalm 22, verse 7, All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. And then, in verse 40, it starts off in saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. The fact that a, a mere passerby, someone who was just coming by the cross, could say such a thing shows how widely the notion had spread that Jesus had said, I will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Evidently, if you ask an average citizen in, in Jerusalem, who is this Jesus? They would say, oh, that's the guy who intends to, to tear down the temple and in three days he's going to rebuild it again. People always seem to be remembered for their, their outlandish and, and incredible things that they say and do. Especially if it's politically or religiously radical, that's something that gets somebody's attention. 
destroying the temple in Jerusalem was about as radical as, as you could get. So they're, they're referring to this charge of Christ as this false witness against him. This was them uh, misrepresenting his words. If you will, real quickly, let's uh, flip over to John uh, chapter 2. And we're going to read verses um, 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he, get this, but he, Jesus, was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This declare that he gave out was that he was able to destroy the, the temple of Jerusalem and rebuild it in three days was the Jews misunderstanding what he had originally said. But they reproach him with it again and suggest that these were, were vain and empty boasts of his because if it takes 46 years to build something, it'll still take 46 years to build something. Three days, it's, it's just not going to happen. So, if he was able to, to do anything of this caliber, if he was able to, to rebuild the temple in three days, he need not to hang on this cross, but he could easily save himself. He could easily get himself off this cross if he can rebuild something that was built for 46 years in three days. Notice in verse 40 in Matthew 27, it says, um, if, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. They, they, they questioned Christ's sonship. And seeing His followers believed Him as the Son of God, and He had owned Himself to be the Son of God before the Sanhedrin, they, they're wanting to see a sign that He really is the Son of God. That's what they want to know. They're testing Him, saying, if you can do this one thing, if you could come down off of this cross, then we will believe that you are the Son of God. They figured that no mere man could possibly do what they were expecting Him to do. They had no other notion that He was the Son of God other than this power that He could show. That they couldn't tell about anything else but, but if you just come off the cross, we will believe. But we know His sonship was not to be declared by His coming down off the cross. Which He could have easily affected, but he had, a, he had a much greater instance of power, His resurrection from the dead. So, after stretching out His arms on the cross, they took nails and drove them into His hands and feet and and they crucified Him. And so this is where the question for tonight comes into mind. What held Jesus to the cross? 
What held him there? It seems very obvious at first glance. You look at it and said, well, they nailed his hands and feet to the cross. But we know that that's not what held him to the cross. He's got power. And in John 20, Thomas asked to see the, the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. We know it took more than just a few nails to hold our Savior to the cross. We, we, we've also read in Scripture, if, if you've studied Matthew 26 at all, that Jesus claimed He had at His disposal 12 legions of angels in which He could have called at any time to, to get Him off the cross, to take Him away. Obviously, a few nails couldn't ward off 12 legions of angels. So what held Jesus to the cross? We know it wasn't the nails, though He was nailed to the cross, because this is the Son of God with, with power to, to raise the dead and, and to heal the sick and to, to make the blind see, still the, the storm-tossed sea. Surely He had the power to step down from the cross if that's what He needed to do. It was not human weakness which bound him to the cross. For he said regarding his life in, in John 10, 18, he says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So it cannot be said that any one man or any man at all took the life of Jesus because he was in, he was in control of his own life and death given to him by the Father. So he wasn't powerless. He, was, he wasn't powerless because he could have called his angels to, to come and take him away. And it was, it was not his human weakness because he had the authority to lay down his life and no one could take it from him. So then the question becomes, why would the Son of Man, or Son of God, allow himself to be nailed to a cross and, and take upon himself all this agony, all this pain and suffering which he endured leading up to his death? So what's the answer? What held Jesus to the cross. The first thing I think held Jesus to the cross, and in my studies I've, I've come to figure it out, it, it, it's His love for us that held Him to the cross. Jesus said nothing and did nothing when, when the scoffers passed by. If you'll recall, He said, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And the chief priests and the scribes they came by and said, He saved others. He cannot save Himself. He is the King of Israel. Let Him come down now from the cross. And we will believe in Him. He trusts in God. Let, let God deliver Him now if He desires. Surely these taunting statements were enough to try the soul of even the Son of God. Statements like this would, would even, in my mind, would, would push the Son of God to think, wait a minute, why, why am I doing this? What's, what's, the, what's the point of all this? His love for the, for the lost mankind held him to the cross. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Paul tells us in Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. Or I, and, the now, <laughs> excuse me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So there are three things I would like to 
to say about the love of God or the love of Christ. First, his, his love was unusual. It is ordinary as, as a, the average American man to come home from work, all day working, come home and tell your wife, I love you. And it's easy to do that. Why? Because love is reciprocated. We, we get that love back. But we know that Jesus loved those who, who hated Him. Just like the Father. Because God's, God chose His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loved His enemies. And even on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So His love was, was un, unusual. What kind of person would, would love their enemy? That's what makes His love for us unusual. He loved His enemies. His love was, secondly, unending. John 13, 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Sometimes we know even the love of a mother can fail. Even, even the love of a, a, father may, or a father may occasionally turn against his own. He, he may not love his kids like he should. But we know the love of Jesus never fails. It's never ending. It, it continued to the cross, beyond the cross, and is, it abounds to us today. His, his uneven, unending love is one of, the, one of the loves that bound him to the cross. And thirdly, his love was unselfish. Man had... Nothing to give Jesus. Nothing to offer Him for this sacrifice that He didn't already have. All things belong to Him. The silver, the gold, the cattle on a thousand hills. And yet the Savior died on our behalf. All things are His by act of creation. And yet the Son of God condescended to die for us. So His unselfish love bound Him to the cross. It's a rare and beautiful thing to see a, a, a people or a person give and love when nothing else can be reciprocated in that love. You, you can't get nothing else out of it. So what else may have held Jesus to the cross? His submission to God's will held Him to the cross. The bitter, angry mob, especially the religious leaders, told him to come down from the cross if he, if he were the Son of God. And one of the criminals that, that was hanging beside him harped on him saying, if you really are the Christ, save yourself and us. Save us too. In the, the common, simple terms, they were, they were saying, if you are not a liar and you're, you're not a hypocrite, come down from this cross. If you are such a big person, if you are really who you say you are, really who you claim to be, Show us by saving yourself. But Jesus could not come down because His submission to God's will bound Him there. So I want to take a minute and pause and make this plea. May our lives at Axis Taylorsville be so submissive to the will of God that we will be unable to do anything or say anything, but Thy will be done. Just as Jesus did. See, 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. When Scripture says walk like Christ, it doesn't mean grab his sandals and, and walk. It doesn't mean take a specific dirt road that he took. We know without a doubt that Jesus was submissive to the will of God. 
submissive so far even to death on a cross. So if Jesus submits, and we are to walk as Jesus walked, just like 1 John 2, 6 says, submit. Submit to the authority of Scripture. Submit to God. So Jesus said, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. John 6, 38. It was the will of God that He should die for sinful man. It was the will of God that He should enter into the Holy of Holies and, and there make one sacrifice for sin forever. It was the Father's will that He should pour out His blood on the cross to save man. Jesus was submissive to the will of God. Lastly, our sins held Him to the cross. I shouldn't say lastly because there's points underneath this point, but our sins held Him to the cross. The trail of sin from the Garden of Eden to, to the present time is a bloody, tragic trail. So we know that, that sin separates men from God, just as it drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. And sin brings shame. Adam and Eve, they, they, they wanted to hide their sin from God. Sinners are still ashamed. We, we are still, to this day, trying to hide our sin from God. It brings shame. Sin brings sorrow. See it for yourself. When you sin, you're sorrowful. You don't like it. You hate it. You want to you get as far away from it as you can. And the life of sin will end in sorrow. And sin brings suffering. It brings mental anguish, physical suffering. All, all come from sin. But the crowning act of sin came in the death of Christ on the cross. But let's not stand back and say, shame on you, sins. Shame on you for putting my Savior on the cross. Remember, it was our sins which nailed Him to the cross as well and held Him there. Isaiah, 30, or Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says, But He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions. And some... There's, there's a few things I want to say about our sin which He bore for us on the cross. First, he, he bore our sins to satisfy the law of God. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul whose sin shall die, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. What is the wages of sin? Death. Because of our sins, we deserve the penalty of death and hell. But Christ came and, and died in our place and He satisfied the law of God and God accepted His death as payment for our sins. So Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works, he Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. Secondly, He took our sins that He might bear them for us. Wipe them out. When John announced Jesus' ministry, he announced it by saying, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. 
Just as the, the priest in Leviticus could lay his hands on, on the head of a live goat and confess over him the iniquities, the, the transgressions of the children of Israel and send him away into the wilderness, Christ came. He bore our sins so that he could take them away, but this time once for all. One sacrifice for sin. Thirdly, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree that he might bring us to God. This is his redemptive work on the cross. This, this is how it works. Jesus comes, he, he takes our place on a cross, he dies to become a, he becomes a curse for us and dies so that we may come to Christ, come to God. Just like Isaiah 53, 5 said. The, the thieves at, at his side cursed and moaned and complained, but Jesus quietly bore the mockery of the very people that he came to save. That's a savior of sinners. 1 Peter 2.24, which I read just a second ago, says, He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. Romans 4.25 he who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Yes, your sins, my sins, bound him to the cross. Christ was, was fully conscious that only his death could satisfy the law of God. He knew nothing else would do. Hence, he bore our sins and, and he brings us to the Father. So, though men scoffed at him and, and accused him of, of lying and of, of hypocrisy, he stayed on the cross. He bore that shame, bound by our sins to the cross. He submitted to all that the Father had required so that He might be just and the one who justifies sinners. So in conclusion, mocked, taunted, dishonored, and ultimately crucified for us, our Savior, Jesus Christ, he did it all so that we might live in, in great hope of eternal relationship with God. Some people want to, to bypass the cross because it's too, it's too gruesome. They want to bypass the work that Jesus had to do to atone for those sins and, and, and think, well, this loving God that I know, there, there must be some sort of easier way to do this than to, to kill somebody. There must be some, some cleaner method than to, to even have to atone by a, a goat or or a scapegoat, or whatever. There has to be something easier than that. To that I say, read the Gospels. Read Scripture. From the beginning on, when they had to make sacrifices, it was messy. Read the Gospels. See how they reveal Jesus, and how each one aims for the cross and resurrection. And they aim for that, because that's the only thing that can atone for sins. Without that we have nothing to stand on. So there you will find the only Savior that can save us sinners. The same Savior that, that took this, this mockery, this beating, this, this ridicule that, that came to save 
through mercy and grace. Let's pray.